This is Tyler and Adam's Pretentious Podcast. Good evening, everybody. We're back for another week of awesome guests that are probably far more interesting than either of us. Probably. So, without further ado, uh, this week we're joined by Dave McGrath. And Dave, you know what? I'm just going to let you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and give us a little little background on who you are and why we are having you on the show tonight. Wow. What, what an intro. Thank you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I fucking, I really kind of grew up having absolutely no idea what I wanted to do in life, dude. Like I was the most lost kid probably that you would ever meet. Like if we met each other, I'm 35 now, if we met each other, you know, 20 years ago, you've been like, this kid's, you know, going to be working in a laundromat or something like that. You know, I had absolutely no clue what I was going to do in my life. It wasn't until I was 17 after 9-11 to where I was like, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, this was like a patriotic decision. I wish I could say that. It really wasn't. I was just looking for some sort of direction in life. And then I started going overseas and like feeling that rush of like, you know, going after targets with a gun and like the camaraderie and, you know, going up on the bird and going out with like, not with the bird, you know, and I'm trying to stay alive, you know? And I was like, you know, when I get through with this, I'm, I'm never going to have a fucking real job. I'm going to do something that's super cool. And I can never sit in an office. I tried that, you know, I tried just about everything when I got out of the army, when I was 30 to, sort of you know recreate that feeling and i could never get it you know and I, I grew up in boston i'm on the exact opposite coast of you guys right now um you know <clears throat> probably much like you guys you know it's it's a hard working kind of place it's a it's a hard scrabble kind of place and like it's very easy to get caught up in bullshit, you know and that that was probably my only other decision in life would have been to just you know get caught up in bullshit or, or do this, you know? So that's sort of how I got to doing what I'm doing now. I'd always had a lifelong fascination with crime, not necessarily being a police officer, but because what I found with most police is like, they're just revenue makers, you know, offense to, to the police who may listen to this or hear this, but pulling someone over for like a license plate bulb wasn't really what I wanted to do. What I, what I really wanted to do was find out, you know, what factors went into people committing crimes, you know, socioeconomic factors or nature nurture factors or, you know, people just born fucking crazy with, you know, um, those <laughs> questions are kind of the ones that, that I wanted to figure out. And it all comes back to the fact, dude, that, you know, I just never wanted to have a real job. And I read something years ago, like, hey, if you do something that you really like to do, then you're, you're never really working. And that's really kind of how I feel, you know? Yeah. Did you, did you start doing the, you know, the forensics uh, while you were still in the military? Was no. that part of like, that wasn't your no. MOS? What no, did you do man. while you were in the army? I was in the infantry. I started in 2002 and I got done in 2015 mm. uh, with my reserve time. Anyway, I got out of the full-time army in 2010. And then I had many, many years of reserve time, which was actually quite busy. We deployed uh, to Afghanistan still uh, in the reserve and the bullets were all real and the same that um, I actually did nothing related to any kind of crime or anything like that. I was just a straight grunt, loved it, enjoyed it very much. Um, it was pretty badass in its own right though, man. Yeah, it was fun, man. I was, uh, 
involved in the longest gunfight in the history of the Afghan war. In fact, the 10 year anniversary is next month where all, everybody who was involved who who survived anyway, uh, it, we're all going to get together and it's like fucking 10 years has gone by already. I feel like it was just yesterday. Uh, it was caught, you know, just the quickest aside. We had, uh, sometimes you'll overseas, you know, guys with cameras will come up to you and be like, hey, you know, I'm a freelancer. I work with Nat Geo. I work with fucking, you know, I work with, you know, the BBC in, in England. Can I hang out with you guys and see if shit pops off and if I can get some good footage? And I remember this day was very slow in the morning. And I was like, listen, man, uh, I was uh, in control. I was a team leader at that point. So I was kind of directing him. I was like, listen, bro, you know, not a lot's going on. I'm probably going to go take a nap after I eat lunch, you know, let's call it a day after this. And then all hell exploded on us. Um, and he was like, uh, I guess I got my, my footage. And he was like, I remember him very after the first suicide bomber hit, Holy uh, shit. you know, there's like, you know, body parts going everywhere. You know, there's, I don't think I've ever recounted this story live, by the way. Ever no, this is, yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you for letting us have the honor, man. This is this crazy. Is so right funny now. because I, this is things that like, I don't even bother talking to my wife about because it's like, a, you know, I'm a big believer and nobody cares. There's you, you and, and I say that in the nicest possible way. Like, life kind of moves on and i feel like that was another lifetime ago and you gotta grow and and move past things but while we're here whatever (laughs) this dude kind of blew himself up and there was fucking like arms everywhere there was some legs like i never seen anything like that in my life and this fucking guy had balls of steel i'll never forget and i never saw him again and i wish i could reconnect who knows if the guy's even alive but he said to me hey where can I post up my camera? Like that's all he cared oh, about, you know? And yeah. uh, he ended up posting up right behind us. And uh, I'll never forget, man. Um, I think the next day, me and a good friend of mine who uh, who's still alive and actually is a Bostonian himself and uh, is doing good things in his life now. Um, I think when we got off our position the next day, because this thing raged on for like 20 hours, they never stopped on us um like 20 rockets hit our position or something like that man it's just amazing that uh you know i seriously i did not get seriously injured i had nothing more than some cuts um and you know a bad headache into this day my ears uh to this very moment as we speak right now my ears are like on fire burning with uh that beep that kind of you know how you get out of the water you find it you hear that nothingness in your ears and that's that's what mm-hmm. i hear to this very moment so yeah man it's no hero bullshit but you know i mean it is i guess a part of my story it taught me a lot about you know who i am you know you never know i don't care about people when they are in their best day i don't care how you act when things are going great i want to see somebody when everything is going bad shit has gone completely sideways the odds aren't looking very good and you got to claw your fucking way out of it. That's what I want to see out of people. That's really how you know, you know, what people are made of, you know? No, no, absolutely, man. I first, first and foremost, man, thank you for your service mm. and, you know, going through all of that shit. What, if you don't mind me asking, what runs through your mind when you are, you know, standing or, you know, hiding uh, behind a wall or whatever, and all this crazy shit's going on. Like, what is going through your mind, if anything other than just survival? Well, you know, let me say as an aside, if anybody who's listening to this wants to actually see this take place, um, there's tons of footage on this. If you go to YouTube, David McGrath, 
Um, oh, so we can watch this footage. Yes, yes, you can. Oh, wow. Um, in fact, every time I go to the VA uh, to talk about my disability and the things I've done uh, with post-traumatic syndrome, and usually the nurses will actually say, hey, do you have a lot of documentation about some gunfight you've been in? I just go, www.youtube.com. <laughs> um, yeah, because we had this guy with us, you know, like I said, he just so happened to be there on that day. Um, this is the wackiest of all days. It happened on September 13, 2011. So it was two days after 9-11, one year before the uprising in Benghazi, Libya, which, of course, you know, four Americans were killed. Um, the Hillary Clinton and the Taliban um, were live tweeting during the gunfight. They were literally in a Twitter battle during this. Uh, Hillary Clinton was visiting Kabul at the time. Um, so it was wild, man. And I, I forget where I was going. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was I thinking? Listen, man, uh, you know, uh, you hate, everybody says this, but it's so true. Like you're such a robot, your training takes over and, um, you just go on autopilot. You do all these hours and hours and years and years and years of drilling work. Preparing for this situation. Right. right. Situational type just two days prior, we had done a little quick run through, um, you know, and, and there's a saying in war and it, it's like, we always say, Hey man, complacency kills shit. Nothing had really happened in months. We'd had a relatively slow deployment. I was like kind of feeling, you know, I was about to have a new baby. I was really looking forward to going home, being with my really fucking hot wife, dude, you know, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> just being back to life. And, um, but we always say, hey, you know, complacency kills. Don't get, don't, don't get on that. You know, fucking be vigilant. And that was a real ass kicker because it came out of the clear blue sky, and you just never know. Um, you know, so it, it was just, man. I just went on autopilot. I'll never forget. I, I'll, I'll tell this because I said it on my last podcast. I was talking about myself as it relates to a killer that I was um, investigating, a, a man that. I've been investigating for years. In fact, I, I've written a whole book about him. That's how much I, I've gotten into this. But, um, you know, the first time I ever shot my weapon and and killed someone um, was that day. And, you know, I still think about to this, I was thinking about it this morning on my way to work. I was, what about our lives intersected at that moment to where his life was over and, and mine continued. And, you know, he was around my age and in the first shot hit him in the left shoulder and he struggled up to his feet and I, his, the second shot hit him in the left thigh. And then eventually I, I hit him in the heart um, or right above the heart, probably um, bled out very quickly. Um, in fact, his friends didn't even bother to, um, to perform aid on him or anything. They just kind of grabbed his weapon and, and left mm. him there. And he, and he laid there for the next 12 hours. I mean, I was constantly reminded you know, um, but I had to because, you know, other people, uh, there were Afghan civilians, number one, children um, there. In fact, 19 civilians were killed uh, in the crossfire, injured too. So um, that's, you know, your job is to protect um, human life in at all costs, even if, it, if it's your own. So, and that's your job and it's not, you know exactly what you're signing up for. You can't bitch nobody lied to you. You knew what you were doing, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't think much of it at the time. I remember not sleeping well for a couple of days. Um, afterwards I had a, a, that migraine of the no sleep 
anybody with kids will will absolutely sympathize with this. <laughs> and then I just, it's weird, man, you know, and we got off that deployment a little bit later. I swear to God, I flew home from Afghanistan. I was fucking doing my dishes in my kitchen like the next day, like a normal person, suburban dad, nobody would have known, you know, uh, it's weird, man. It's really weird. Even 10 years on now, uh, that's a great Led Zeppelin reference if you don't get it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's went right over my head, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, it's just like, you know, I don't talk about it and it, it's just an, an, another life, bro. You know, no, man, that is some seriously heavy shit. And yeah. I mean, thank you for recounting that for us. I know sometimes it's uh, for some people that's difficult. That's difficult to talk about. But yeah. I mean, yeah, you're pretty yeah. candid about it. And I, I, I mean, listened to your last episode when the young lady was talking about mental health and like that's for guys. And, and I say this all the time. I'll give out my phone number on my Twitter account where I have 20,000 followers like all the time, like for men mental health is the last great frontier and you know to me it's you're a coward if you don't talk about what bothers you or you know or if you think it's not manly like the most manly thing you can do i recently lost one of my friends a, another soldier who was a great friend of mine who just by happenstance happened to live across the street from me we didn't plan it like that he just moved in a little after me i would see this guy every morning on my way to work two children great job worked in law enforcement i come home one day his car's in the driveway and i have a facebook message that i didn't look at telling me that one of my our other friends saying hey you know so and so killed himself i'm like i'm looking at his fucking car i'm in front of his house i open the door there's there's the bio guys hadn't even been there yet his blood oh. and his brains were still on the wall and i'm being candid and i'm, I'm I will, i'll get that deep because people need to understand that like if you don't fucking help yourself like your kids are gonna go fatherless or motherless your family's gonna miss you like and i'm not gonna call him a coward i can only imagine what he was dealing with and and i myself obviously didn't ask the right questions because i saw him through the fence every day in my life every morning when we went to work and that morning i came home and he, he wasn't going to bed that night. He was done forever. And there was obviously a lot of things going on there that I didn't fucking see. And I made, you know, I told myself that day, no more. Like, you reach out to everyone. If you see somebody who's hurting, you know, you 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 tell them, hey, you can come to me. And, and I'll t say the same thing to your audience. Like, you can put my email in your show notes. Anybody can email me who's who has something going on or just wants someone to talk or if they feel helpless because especially if you're a man, like you're not a coward, man. Like life is fucking hard. You need somebody to pick you up. And then I'm there, you know, true that man. And, uh, thank you very much for, you know, getting, you know, being real about all of that. I mean, like you said, this stuff is, it's the last great frontier. We don't talk enough about this. And I, I stated last week, like that's something that needs to change. Like I, I have, okay. I don't know if your, your neighbor, was it? Yeah. Was he it? was basically like, like literally to the 12 o'clock of my door. Like his door looked at my door and the, he was, uh, he wasn't former service that you know of. Uh, oh yeah. He was, no, he was prior military had been in with me. Like we didn't plan to live across the street from each other. He moved in after me and I was like, holy shit, dude, we, we served together, man. You and we, you know, Hey, yeah, I remember you, man. Like, like, let's keep in touch. And, 
you know, we'd say hello. We obviously had the same schedule, so we didn't connect too, too much, but I always kept my eye on him and I know he kept his eye on me, you know, like that's what you do for other soldiers, like a fraternity, man. Like, Hey, you graduated from my college or, you know, we fucking, we used to work together or whatever, you know, it's like a former coworker. You keep an eye on him. Like if I saw his kids, you know, my kids and his would play together. If I saw his wife, I'd say hello, you know? And uh, yeah, I had no idea. He, I saw him in uniform every day. He looked like the picture of fucking, you know, if you saw him, it was like, Oh, kid's a fucking badass, man. He's all tatted up. He's jacked. Like, I thought he had the world by the balls, man. You know, you, you never really know what's going on in someone's head, man. I, uh, I mean, both of us, Adam and I both have, we've per- firsthand experienced, uh, you know, loss due to men's mental health going unchecked. And by the time you realize anything's wrong, it's too late. It's usually too late. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a fucking shame. And it's a shame. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm glad that in these last few episodes, we're starting to talk about this because I'll be honest, we haven't really gotten too deep up until recently. We've been very, very shallow in our subject matter. And I feel like these last few episodes, we're starting to break through and get into the shit that matters and the shit that's actually important, the, the stuff that should be talked about. I mean, it's fun to talk to all of the people that like, thank you all for coming on our, our previous guests. Thank you. Like it's really interesting shit, but it's not often that we get an opportunity to have discussions like this and more heavier topics. Yeah. More like, taboo topics. It's stuff that people don't often want to talk about. They don't really want to, but they need to. And Hey David, I appreciate you for, you know, sharing that. I mean, that's like, we're going to have to put a, <laughs> Adam made a little note here. We're going to have to throw a little uh, extreme content warning (laughs) on this episode, but fuck, I wouldn't change a single bit of it, man. Um, Just, I I don't want to run the clock out. I want to, I want to get into some of the, like, what do you do now, man? Like what you do now, the forensic investigation, how does all of, does any of what we've discussed so far kind of lead into that? I mean, Mm, I'll, I'll say this. no, um but you know when i was a kid i was i had uh, a great dad who was uh really good to me and then went away for a long time um for nothing that he did to me he was just in the life you know and my mom tried her best but she had two crazy kids and she would have different boyfriends and you know some of them were really bad guys you know i grew up getting fucking you know my ass kicked uh sexual abuse frankly you're gonna have to put the disclaimer on on this again and i apologize um in fact the the i get a lot of emails every day uh since i started the podcast and um most of the emails are fucking very they're all nice let me but most of them always say hey man your subject matter is so heavy bro you know and you know when i was a kid getting abused you know i won't get too deep into it my abuser is long gone and fucking forget it but you know i kind of always grew up fucking with that kind of shame you know when i when i got out done with the army and i became an adult i found it hard to fucking have relationships with like with women you know because and how do i say this without people getting the like you know i would just like it was hard for me to like be normal you know because i had all that like that that just fucks your mind up so much and like when i was starting to think about what i wanted to do with my life I, I started to think about stopping people 
like him. Um, and that's when I started looking into, okay, I'm going to go to school, you know, I'm going to use the GI bill and fucking get the class. And that's what I did, you know, and I was like, do I really want to be on the street? And like we talked about earlier, you know, most of the police that I saw while, you know, the vast majority of them are, put their lives on the line every fucking day, man. And I know how that is to wear a uniform and not be liked and, and have to fucking go home to your kids after that and think about it all night and go back and do it again. It's fucking hard, man. But, you know, I wanted to get into the, you know, more of the other side of the house where maybe I could figure out how I can identify these people earlier so I can stop them quicker. Um, And that's how I got into forensics, man. And then that, that sort of just, the philosophy of crime criminology and you know it embarked me on the uh, set me down this long path of training in school and you know i'm still in school man I'm still finishing up all these years later because um you know it's just so much course material you know and so much learning about human behavior but you know i didn't want to physically be on the street anymore but i knew that i wanted to have the impact of at least behind the scenes and you know i i started working on some cases and talking about some cases and during covid last year you know i had worked on on one case in particular which is the first first four episodes of my podcast uh on a guy named wayne chapman who was a a man who was uh uh from new york city from uh, upstate new york who ended up uh in new england in the 1970s um who was the the most fixated serial abuser of young boys that I've ever come across. And I've been studying pedophiles for 10 years. Um, I've just never seen anybody so brazen and so fixated. And after looking into him for a little bit, I started to just uncover so much of the depth of this one man's crimes and talking to his victims. Um, you know, it, it put me in down a, a really dark five or six year path, man, where, you know, I, it was just, it was, I, I almost had to write the book and start the podcast to just dump it out of my brain. It was almost cathartic, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, just getting back to your question, I mean, the computer work, the digital forensics, I mean, that that's, that's one part. It's, the, the you've seen recently with all the cyber crime in the news, like we're, if I can say it, to your listeners to take one thing from listening to me is we've had a lot of cyber crime recently with all of the pipelines being shut down and we're heading towards a, a cyber crime 9-11 right now. And it's probably just imagine this scenario tomorrow morning, you wake up and every bank account in the United States is frozen mm-hmm. and you can't access your money or envision this scenario, every single cell door out there in Washington state where the prison is in pedophile Island out there on McNeil Island um, are all run by electricity. If it all gets shut down tomorrow on the internet, which could absolutely happen. I mean, anything's possible now and all those doors open, there's going to be nobody to stop them. We're going to have mass hysteria in the streets. Forget about the rioting that you saw last summer. That'll be nothing compared to what happens when people can't get access to their bank accounts, red lights don't work. Green lights don't work. Yellow lights don't work. Nothing works. And that's where we're headed towards. Unless we all get serious about understanding that, that 
we're being infiltrated and destroyed from the inside out by cyber criminals. And it's the most important threat that we face right now. Our president comes on every day and I don't care where your politics lie. I forget about that. It's not a Republican or Democrat thing because Donald Trump didn't do anything for this problem either. Um, and says that our biggest problem is white supremacy. I mean, that's so far off the mark. I mean, while Russia and China destroy our infrastructure on the internet right now, and just imagine if every cell door opened tomorrow, what would happen in this country? And that's where we're heading towards. We couldn't, we didn't wake up about terrorism until 3,000 people fell out of a skyscraper in the middle of New York City. We can't wait until shit gets that bad this time. So I hope people understand that. Thank you, man. Um, and I hope our listeners are listening to your warning. And I don't know how literal you're trying to be with your examples that you've given. Um, but this is stuff. I mean, I mean, I'm tech savvy. I know how just how much power lies in the right hands whenever it comes to like our digital infrastructure and everything. I know, I know what you're saying could in theory happen, but just, just for the sake of our, for our listeners, do you see this stuff happening or is this just like a worst case scenario warning? Um, well, I would never sit here and try to cause hysteria and say that this is absolutely going to happen. I have, I, I don't know. Um, I just know that we've even on a local level, um, my wife works at a hospital and she got a letter home just last couple weeks. Um, just so you know, and this came from the CEO of her hospital, just so you know, we were hit with a ransomware attack. We paid this much money, um, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's medical information was, mm -hmm. was completely locked down. You had no access to anything. And that's just one hospital in one small city outside of Boston. Imagine if that was every hospital in the United States simultaneously, what would happen? I mean, I mean, we would have no function. Imagine going to an emergency room. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, one of my first deployments was humanitarian aid down to Hurricane Katrina in 2007. I never saw anything like that in my life. You dialed 911, the number was disconnected, man. The whole entire system just completely fell apart. There was nothing you could do. You couldn't get an ambulance. You couldn't go get water. You couldn't, you couldn't go get bread. Excuse me. You couldn't go get bread. You could do nothing. And that was from a, a simple levees breaking um, and a hurricane. And again, I would never downsize it because I never saw anything like that in my life. God bless those people. But imagine what would happen if a cataclysm uh, of that came together on the Internet when everything is run by the Internet. man. if you go to the ATM tomorrow to buy your kids formula, you have to put your debit card in. If that debit card is worthless and that ATM is worthless and you have to feed your kid, what lengths would you go to to make sure that your kid got fed? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but we have to understand that the battlefield has now shifted. China, Russia, our real adversaries in this world have completely shifted their focus to cyber. Everything is cyber. They're not going to be invading us from the shores. They're going to be creeping into your bank account and slowly bleeding you and slowly killing us. And the slow kill is the, the dilapidation of money, resources, power, electricity, things like that. The very basic functions that you need to run your life, never mind run an army and win a war. So the 
I would say that if you ask me if they're going to happen, I don't know. But if you ask me, David, are you pessimistic or optimistic? I would say I'm extremely pessimistic. So you're you're basically saying that and I mean, this is all really insightful and it's something to think about. I mean, just as a whole, whether or not the extent of it like that's 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 the variable here. But do you do you think that it would be kind of like how you're explaining it with the sort of we don't know that it's happening until it's already happened? Like by right. the time we realize there's something going on. They've already done A, B, C, and D to right. prevent us from being able to have Back any from it. Well, let yeah. me ask you, did we know that we were under a terrorist attack? Did we know that Mohammed Atta had already boarded a plane from Portland, Maine to Boston, Massachusetts when he was doing it? Of course not. We didn't know Mohammed Atta had done that until the towers had already fallen and 3,000 people were dead until we pulled him out of the wreckage and matched up dental records to FBI watch lists. So no, we won't know until we're standing in a pile of rubble who exactly it was. Now, we all had our theories. Most people who were in the know pointed to Osama bin Laden's gang. And most people in the know, like myself, will probably point to Russia or China. But A, B, C, D, all the way down to X is going to be fucking happening before you know what it really is and who's really behind it. And that is terrifying. Yeah. Makes me want to close out my bank account and bury all my assets <laughs> I know. in the backyard. A friend of mine was just <laughs> saying that to me yesterday. He's like, dude, after, ta- after talking to you so much, man, I'm fucking, I invest in gold and I keep that shit under my blanket. And that's another thing. Everybody's excited about this uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, I have many, many, many friends who are all about crypto and that's great. But what happens when they shut down your internet money? What the fuck are you going to do then? Because I don't care how strong the blockchain is, and I know this is real geek talk. No, but, I, I am a know. big, I'm an avid uh, proponent of cryptocurrency, but I want to hear your take on this, man. It's all great, man. I'm all for it. But you have to understand two things. Number one, the government is not going to let you fuck around with anything else other than what they tell you you can fuck around with. So otherwise, because eventually they're going to shut you down. Eventually, cryptocurrency is going to go away. And the only way I know this is because of history. <laughs> we change when, you know, literally, the people still call it pounds in England because you could go and get 10 pounds of gold, and that's how much it costs for a pack of cigarettes. It was literal pounds. And that's what, and we switched here from the gold and the silver to the cash and the, and the quarters and nickels because that's what the government wanted to do. It was an easier way to tax. And it's going to be the same way with crypto. That's number one. Number two is that the same guys who hack, they're, they're these threat actors, these these hacktivists and who else, whoever you know may be, are, are just as smart as the people who designed it. You know, And to think for one second that, and I hear this all the time from crypto people because I have this discussion often because they know what I do for work and they'll talk to me about it. Um, and cybersecurity is, is a small portion of what I do, but you know, it's getting bigger and bigger every day. Um, and I just tell them that nothing is unbreakable. I mean, we had a gentleman, we had a company called LifeLock. I don't know if you remember this story or not, guys, but is it there was the one a guy, the guy in the commercials. Had his yeah, like, man. Yeah, he and would they like, go billboards and say, it was my, actual social. my yeah. blockchain is so secure that I'm going to put my fucking social out here. And what happened? <laughs> Somebody in Indonesia bought a boat with his fucking credit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so give me a break. Nothing is secure. These guys are really, really yeah. smart. 
they're well-trained, they're well-funded. Doesn't this sound a lot like 9-11? They're incredibly well-funded because the governments of these foreign countries back them and go, hey, you guys are not in uniform, but you're going to work for us. You guys are the geeks, you're the best geeks, and you're our geeks now. So, Yeah, no, I mean, Russia is well-known to have like armies of government funded hackers and stuff. I mean, just within the crypto space alone, I have seen three or four projects uh, that were seemingly, you know, impenetrable. The, you know, there somebody put a back door in like one of the, sure. the programmers that did a, uh, what is it? Uh, an audit. They did a software audit and they were in on it and, you know, they got taken for millions. So I understand what you're saying <laughs> that it is not like, uh, it's it's not you know ironclad. There are backdoors yeah. and there are people that are smart enough to get through it. My take with crypto, and not to make this a crypto focused conversation or anything, but I think of it more as do I think it's going to be the future? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how you want to look at it or wh where you stand on the argument of it. But I look at it as more of a speculative thing. I'm an investor, exactly, and I mean I do appreciate the security of it as a whole like i mean nobody's cracked bitcoin yet like, there's nobody that's really cracked bitcoin you can't really break a wallet unless you have that seed phrase right right but no, you're right you're right but i mean it's it depends on who you're talking to you obviously know a little bit more about this than uh the average joe including myself i'm not gonna sit here and try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a forensic investigator that uh you know you know likely knows a lot more about what he's talking about than i do but i mean hey i appreciate your input on it nonetheless man it's interesting to hear everybody's take on it yeah i mean i just i, I think those things haven't happened yet because the the motivation has not been properly formed yet uh it's not for you know any sort of security that's any better than say you know goldman sachs which is hacked once a month or you know the the bank of davos which is the bank that runs the entire world which is you know hacked constantly you know and again i hope it doesn't happen i'm all for crypto by the way i am not a crypto uh denier or anything it's just anytime i see something that seems i mean we just saw it with the gamestop thing i mean I don't know how much you guys followed that and I don't want to get too off. Oh course, yeah. But, but I rooted for that. Like, like a motherfucker because <laughs> a, I root for the peasants because I am a peasant. And when the peasants rise up, I think that's a good thing. And what happened, the whole entire breath of the federal government fell on top of those people to protect hedge funds. And the minute that hedge funds get hurt or the big money banks get hurt, it's going to get shut down and there's no way around it. Yeah, Robin Hood uh, famously just stopped trading. Mm -hmm. broke a like broke a bunch of support within their ranks because they did that, and it just shows you that they only let you play until you begin until they begin to right. lose. It's a big game, it's a big club, and you ain't fucking in it, and neither am I. You know? <laughs> that's that's very true, man. And I mean, I I love investing, but it's little things like that that give you a small reminder of where you fall on the totem pole. You're, you're just a peasant, man, you know, and so am I. And you need to be reminded of that uh, often. So, yeah. you know. No, true that, man. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to stray too far off topic here sure. because I mean, I love talking about this shit, but this could be a whole episode <laughs> in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
like you say, yeah. aside from the the cybersecurity side of things, yeah. like you might kind of try to paint a picture of sure. uh, like some of the other stuff sure. that you've done or deal with. Sure. So let me tell you about the absolute greatest career field that you could get into right now. For anybody who's listening to this, who might be on the edge or trying to think about a new job, maybe you guys are. And if you are, great. Please talk to me offline. I'll, I'll help you in any way I can. Um, digital forensics is, is, and I'll take two minutes. It is just the, it is the, you know, op, it is the, the way of, you know, looking at an image or um, looking at a uh, snapshot in time of a computer or a mobile device and finding evidence of crimes, you know, and a lot of it comes back to things like, um, unfortunately, child abuse. Um, you know, you have to understand that, you know, if you have an iCloud account or something like that, you know, somebody who's good in forensics can probably, you know, if I took your iPhone right now and you created, you bought an iPhone 12 years ago, I can probably find every picture that you've ever taken. Uh, nothing is ever gone. Nothing is ever, ever gone if somebody knows how to find it. Um, so I do a lot of, yeah, I know. Um, well, you know, for, for most of us, normal people who, who don't, um, do anything outside of the law, you, you know, have nothing to worry about. Right. right. Or, you know, you're, you're just a little worried about those party pictures from 10 years ago where you were vaping, you know, the, the weed when you should have right. or something, you know? Um, so I do sometimes stuff like that, you know, um, companies will come to me and say, Hey, you know, we, we want to look into the internet uh, history of certain people, or we want, you know, it's not always just, you know, kids or, or anything like that. You know, I'm, I don't do anything like that. It's just, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting the, you know, and I'll talk in generalities, the um, sort of heroic work of people that you'll never know their names, never see their faces who do a lot to keep kids safe. And um, that's really, you know, my main passion in life outside of my own kids and, and a couple Boston sports teams is keeping kids who are just like me, who, you know, were kind of like weak and, you know, safe and, and safe from, from predators, man, you know, and whether, and it used to be, as I outline, you know, I have in my podcast and, and in my book, you know, it used to be, you know, people who wanted to hurt kids would gather, you know, um, at public parks or, you know, lure kids away. And now they all congregate on the internet, you know, and it's the world's biggest crime scene. It really is every day that I open my computer, I think that to myself, like this is the world's biggest crime scene. It's just happening everywhere. You know, and we have a major problem in this country with human trafficking, sexual abuse of children, men and women. Um, and if I can do just a small part to keep kids, you know, safe, then, um, you know, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth and, and fucking die trying, you know? Um, so anybody who's out there right now who wants to make a difference and, you know, doesn't want to get physically dirty and has some tech skills, I would absolutely recommend looking into that career field because it is incredibly rewarding. On the other side of it, um, you know, I do a lot of criminal, you know, trying to predict uh, criminal behavior in people, um, you know, uh, uh to piggyback on that, you know, about six years ago, I saw a documentary about a young boy in Lawrence, Massachusetts, um, who disappeared from a public pool in 1976. Uh, that would have been nine years before I was born. 
um, I saw the documentary and I was initially, I was incredibly struck by this young kid who went missing. Um, and I immediately needed, to, I, I think I'm on like the autism spectrum because like when I get a hold of something, sometimes I can't let it go until I get to the bottom of it. Um, this young boy was disappeared and was never found to this moment uh, as we sit here in 2021. And I needed to know everything about what happened to this kid. Um, and the woman who made the documentary was a childhood friend of his and I purposely never ever spoke to her. I needed to find my own information and that took me on a six year odyssey. Um, the main suspect in the case was a man named Wayne Chapman who was a serial pedophile uh, in the New England area. Um, if it was just that simple, um, I think I probably would have let it go long before, but <clears throat> what I, what I uncovered by going through and talking to everybody who ever knew him, the police who worked on the cases, the victims, you know, talking to the victims was just, I mean, a lot of these victims went on to offend themselves. I just can't even tell you the amount of how this man destroyed these kids lives and then future generations of kids lives by turning these kids into predators that he that he predatorized so um i don't even know if that's a word but we just created it um you heard it here folks yeah you heard it here and um i i just i fell down that rabbit hole with him man and, and what i was able to uncover in short and i'll send you guys copies of the book um it is that he worked in a in a group of pedophiles five men uh, Nathaniel Barjona, who ended up um, eating and cannibalizing a 10-year-old boy in Montana. Oh, uh, Jesus um, a, a man named Charles Pierce, who, um, when asked by the Massachusetts State Police how many kids he killed, he could only respond with, I don't know, there's just too many. Oh. Um, we had a real problem here, guys, in the 1970s with children going missing. Um and I started to not just look at Andy's case, who was the little boy who, who was taken from the pool, but I started to look at all these cold cases in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, because in New England, you know, it's Rhode Island, it's Connecticut, it, they're all sort of bunched together, it's Massachusetts. So I started looking at all these cases and I started realizing that all these cases are connected. These five, six guys had been predatorizing kids in and skating on it for years and years and years. Um, and eventually guys like Barjona went to prison, you know, and he died in prison. Thank God he did the world a favor. Charles Pierce also died in prison. But Wayne Chapman, who predatorized, and again, there's that word, um, at least 100 kids that he admitted to. I think it's probably more, you know, around the 500, 600, who knows. He was free for so many years. And all he thought about this, this man didn't, go to baseball games like we do he didn't fish he didn't go out and chase chicks all he thought about was picking out boys and destroying their lives with sexual abuse um he was the most fixated predator i've ever come in contact with but present day this this man is out on the streets and uh if you listen to my podcast which has been overwhelming with the amount of people email me and the numbers are insane uh, we, we, I called his bluff. I got to him face to face and, um, and I basically told, lied to him and said, I had evidence that I know what he did and I'm going to go to the police. And, you know, we, 
I tried to elicit some sort of reaction from this guy, but I've never been, I've been all over this world, dude. You know, um, I've been in front of Taliban. Uh, I've been in front of Haqqani Network and Boko Haram terrorists that behead little girls for, for go simply going to school. Um, I've been in front of all these people and I've never been felt the way I felt when I was in front of this guy. It was just pure evil. Do you, you know? mind? Do you Go mind? I, I just want to know how, how you set that up. How did you end up uh, finding yourself face to face with this guy? Um, I had read a news report that um, he was released. So just backing up a little bit. Um, he was never prosecuted for the two murders that I absolutely believe that he did. And I outline in my podcast and my book and just about anybody who'll listen. Um, but he did get prosecuted for two rapes of little boys that they were actually able to pin on him in Massachusetts, much like you have in Washington state, the, her the heroes of Washington state. And I, I study a lot of your predators out there because you have a place called McNeil Island out there where they have civil commitments for predators, meaning they have no jail time. They are not prosecuted. They are simply told by the state that you are going there for the rest of your life because we cannot allow you in front of the public because you're so sexually dangerous. You're just exiled? Yes. Wayne Chapman was civilly committed in Massachusetts for the rest of his life when he was 26 years old. Oh. Um, he got out in 2018, his lawyer argued, and lawyers are the scums of the earth, and any lawyers listening to this, I, fuck you. Because I don't care. <laughs> um, um, and he got him out. And I've spoken with the lawyer in depth, and he's a piece of shit, and, and I go into that. But um, And I read a news report that he was going to be sent to a homeless shelter in Boston. I grew up in that neighborhood. I knew that shelter well. I know that they kick people out at 8 in the morning and make you come back at 5. I knew exactly what street corner he'd be standing on, so I was waiting for him the very next morning. Um and I basically called his bluff. He, uh, Andy Puglisi went missing from the pool in 76. And Oh, fuck. Wayne, hey, not yeah. to interrupt you, man, but uh, yeah. Adam just pulled up McNeil Island, and that's mm -hmm. like less than two hours away from us. I've never even heard of it until just now. I got to get out there and see that place for myself one of these days. Hey, man, you make your, you make your way out here. We'll join you for the trip. Uh, I got to get out there and take some pictures yeah, just to see the place. Yeah, it's less than it looks to be. It's got to be less than forty-five minutes away from where we went skydiving. Yeah, like earlier this month or last month. Holy shit! It's no, not very, not very much talked about. I believe there's probably oh. if you were to YouTube it, you'll probably find one documentary, maybe. It's right outside Ooh. of Seattle. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's that's wow. crazy. I'm sorry that's to interrupt crazy. you, man, but no, you don't worry about it, I, just, I was just curious. I was like, that blows my mind. Yeah, I can't believe it's so yeah. close in this entire state. We're like right next to it. That's think wild. about the the worst possible predators that that could possibly exist live there. Oh, yeah. Burn it down. Yep, exactly. <laughs> in, in fact, I've made many arguments for the death penalty for for nobody but. These and and it's another thing that I get into a lot in the book and 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 um, we lock up these people of color for twenty dollars worth of weed and and that's not what prisons were created for. Prisons were created for guys like Chapman who pose such a threat to, to other human beings safe. that 
I mean, think about it. The Romans created prisons because they thought that people who committed crimes had evil spirits in them and they needed to be locked behind bars because they didn't want those evil spirits to move into other people. That's literally what they believed. And I still kind of believe that in a small sense that we have a fucked up problem with the criminal justice system that, you know, <laughs> and if it was up to me, all the prison doors would be open tomorrow and let all these white, black, Puerto Rican, Mexican who have been put in prison for fucking marijuana and cocaine and lock up these fucking child molesters and lock up and in, in, in these Wall Street criminals and the people are really hurting people. Um, but that's a whole nother podcast. I'm sure we could do that, you know, too. But, <laughs> Dude, we'll yeah. have to have you back, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just... we'll do that. But yeah, yeah, that's um that's how I got face to face with them. And I basically just, you know, lied to them um, a little bit, but you know, I do have, um, I do know that Chapman's job was he worked in a hospital, Miriam hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. He was the janitor and he burned animals and body parts in the incinerator. Hospitals have incinerators in the bottom and it's all, um, all these body parts that get, um, you know, when people have amputations, things like that, they all get burned in an incinerator. That very next morning, Chapman was supposed to be off from work. He actually was there. I was able to speak to people who were working with him that day. And there was an unauthorized burn in the incinerator the very next morning. And the only person that had the key was Wayne Chapman. They continue to look for Andy Puglisi's body every year. It's a story around here. They're never going to find it. He, he, he unfortunately was burned uh, in that incinerator the very next day. And that's your take on what likely happened to him? Yes. Um, uh, Chapman has often said, you know, no body, no crime. Um, he said that to every detective that I've spoken with and that interviewed you, him. And go ahead. Could you repeat yourself? We lost you for just a second. Uh, we yeah. had like a signal drop or something. No problem, man. Um, the all the detectives I was able to talk to, and you can listen to my podcast that they've they've come on live with me. And we've talked about how many times Chapman would say to them, if you guys have no body, you have no crime. He was a, his IQ was somewhere in the eighties, but he was a very smart criminal. Hmm. And he knew that if they never found Andy's body, they would never be able to place him um, at the crime. Uh, he would never be able to pin a crime to him. He was at the crime scene. Many, many people picked him out. In fact, there were five pedophiles at the pool that day. It, the oh. story is so deep, man, and it, we could never cover it. I, I, it took me five episodes to cover everything. And I still feel like there's more I could say. Um, we had a huge problem here in Massachusetts with children getting, getting victimized and sometimes murdered. This state, um, you know, this is where NAMBLO was created, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Oh. Um, and they were literally able to be at pride parades. Their First Amendment rights were protected. The guy who started it was a pedophile priest named Paul Shanley. Um, I've had detectives tell me off the record, and I don't care, I'll say it here, that their bosses wanted them to chase burglars and, and theft more than they wanted them to chase pedophiles. And uh -oh. to me, that is fucking absolutely insane. The most important thing we could do is protect kids, man, you know, and not only because they're going to grow up, you know, to predatorize other kids, maybe, as I've seen um, that. And, and what do we have, man? I and, mean, you know, I mean, are, do you guys have kids? No, uh, no, we do not. 
All right. So when you become dads, we'll talk and you guys will understand. You'll be you guys will be fucking texting me every day like, hey, bro, is that, you know, like any any tips? Trust me, because the first thing you're going to do is give your entire fucking life to making sure that your kids are protected and they live the happiest kind of life that they could possibly have. And people like me have to make sure that guys like Wayne Chapman don't ever get to walk the streets and whether that be through media, through writing about it or talking about it or actually doing work, you know? Um, And that's just how I feel, man. You know, and when I initially did the show, I was like, Oh my God, might as well just scream out of my window. Nobody's ever going to listen to this. And I've been just fucking so overwhelmed by the numbers thousands and thousands of downloads nobody cared about my book i was going to self-publish it all of a sudden like this really big true crime publisher wild blue press is like hey we want your book you know shit's kind of gone really fast for me um it it, you know the one thing i would ask to your fans because i like your show i know people listen if i dig it i know people will um is you know it's heavy subject matter for sure but it's it's wildly fucking important and this, uh, your book, is that, um, does that cover a lot of uh, what you talked about with uh, Wayne Chapman? Yeah. The book is specifically on Wayne Chapman. It's oh, called okay. Monster. It's called Monster, The Life and Crimes of Wayne Chapman. Um, this guy still walks the streets to this day? Not only does he walk the streets to this day, ready for your blood to boil, he lives in Connecticut and his window overlooks a school. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, Adam's pulling stuff up on uh, Google right now about him and kind of like uh, getting a little backstory on him aside from what you said. This guy looks like I want to hit him with my car. Yeah, he, he looks like there's something <laughs> off about him. Well, you would have done uh, the world a favor, man. And I there's a lot of uh, stuff out there about Chapman, but and I'll send you the book. Make sure I get your addresses. Um, I I think I wrote the definitive I mean, I've talked to guys. I, I went back and talked to a Sunday school teacher. You know, I mean, um, wow. I've got stuff in there that, I mean, and it's so intertwined with other people who killed children because he was very good friends with, like I said, Pierce and Barjona. And, and if you're going to do some backstory on them, I, I would, I would implore you to Google them. These guys were friends. These guys knew each other. They they were behind prison walls together. You know, last story I'll tell you on Chapman. He was pulled over in 1977 in Waterloo, New York, after Andy Puglisi went missing. Sergeant Tony Vatter of the New York State Police is the one who did the polo, um, the uh, the vehicle stop. He found 150 pictures of nude boys, and that was on Chapman's dashboard alone. This oh. this guy couldn't this guy couldn't take a drive without having naked kids, Polaroids on his dashboard. They found camera equipment in the back. This guy was a janitor. This was the most up-to-date state-of-the-art camera equipment you could find. There was a lot, there was money behind him. I go into how he was creating child pornography and selling it around and being backed by people who are also into it. It's so much more than just a freaky child killer who's just a fucking scum of the earth scumbag. He was well-connected, intertwined with a lot of people. And it's a story that I hope many people will hear because nobody ever knows. um, I'm telling you, man, these people masquerade as janitors, as school teachers, as gym teachers, as baseball coaches. They, they, Nobody ever sees them for who they truly are, except for their victims. 
that's that's a that is so fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm wow. not gonna lie, dude. I had no idea where this was gonna go. Right. Whenever, whenever yeah, we sat down. <laughs> yeah, this is just uh I mean it's it's fucking media gold, but I mean that doesn't that does like this is a really awesome episode, but I just hope that like this is help put helping further your agenda of like making shit like this, you know, more recognized. Yeah, you never know. Somebody who's listening could be like, hey, wait a second, I can connect these dots here. Yeah, this right. is just you know this is and just I'll tell crazy. you that's the most the most rewarding thing about so far the first five episodes that I've done or six is the amount of people who email me and give me tips about other cases. Like the public is so awesome, you know, and people are so good hearted, man. They're so good at, they want justice. They want the right thing to prevail, you know, and they'll email me and go, Hey, um, how about this guy? Or how about this guy? Or how about this? Or how about that? Or I saw this, or I knew about this, or this was the rumor in my neighborhood. And I can assure you, anybody who's listening to this, if you email me and talk to me about something like that, I will look into it as much as I possibly can. I'm, I'm a honey badger. I got a lot on my plate right now. I had a woman who recently emailed me about the, her father disappeared in 1972. And she doesn't think anybody ever paid attention to the fact that she called out who her father's killer was and, and she didn't get any justice and she never saw the body and he's, he didn't even get a proper burial. And I'm working with her to see if we can get some answers on it, you know, and there's anybody in the public like that. I I can assure you that, you know, I will at least absolutely hear you out. So this is truly your life's work. My life's work, man. Yep. All I do. So incredibly, this has got to be, this has got to be really stressful, man. Um, I mean, I don't know what's going on in your head whenever you're, you know, you're dealing with all this. And uh, do you ever have fun? Yeah. Do, do you, how oh, do you think of this? I like to fish. Um, I have two little boys who are like super fucking, you know, rambunctious. You know, they're seven and two. And like, I was just at the Y with my two year old and we were swimming and, you know, I can be, I can be really like blend in and be normal and just like, you wouldn't know anything, you know, I'm just a suburban dad, but, and I talk about this in my podcast and and it's true. I'm always looking at people. I'm always considered when people walk by me, I always think the worst, you know, and I, and I know that's not the right way to live life, but unfortunately that's just what's in my head because I, I study the worst of the worst and people are really awful. You know, our founding fathers were so brilliant. They knew that we had to create a system of checks and balances. And do you know why? Because human beings can be corrupted. Human beings are bad. They lie, they cheat, they steal. Sometimes they even murder. So one person cannot have full absolute power. And that's why they were so brilliant. And that's a great microcosm for just human beings. Um, so, you know, I always, you know, I'll drop my seven-year-old son off at school sometimes and he goes to school right next to a big wooded area. And I know that a guy like Wayne Chapman, who I outline in the book and the podcast used to always lure boys into the woods because he would go up to them and say, Hey, I lost my dog. I can't find my dog. He's a poodle. 
I have a little girl at home. She's only five years old. She's going to be really sad if I can't find it. Can you just give me a hand? I'll, I'll throw you five bucks. Can you just help me look for it? Mm. And that's how he would lure boys away. And then he would do what he did to them and destroy their lives, shatter their psyches. And sometimes they wouldn't even make it out alive. And I just think about my own little boys. If my son, my oldest boy, if somebody came up to him and said, hey, I lost my dog. Can you help me? Like my son would be the first person to volunteer to help. And I think about that when I drop him off at school and when he's not with me. And it, it, it do I ever have fun? Of course, man. I'm, I'm the biggest goofball in the world, man. I, I, I like to party as, as much as anybody, but um, I'm also keenly aware that this is not a very, for the most part, or for the small part, I should say, it's not a very nice place. And that 1% of people who, who might be the most evil, um, I focus on them probably more than the other 99%. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Hey, man, it sounds like you take your work very seriously. And, I mean, I have a great amount of respect for what you do. And it's it definitely sounds like this is not a – it's not a nine-to-five for you. This is literally – your your like your wife this is like you know day or night uh pre- almost to the point of waking or sleeping it sounds like you almost live and breathe it's definitely this, the first time we've ever had a career on our show <clears throat> yeah this is, <laughs> this is this is just uh i don't know man it's a it's a lot to take in and i can't wait to read this book like i am yeah, looking very, forward very to excited it. about it It'll be, it's due out in September. I'll send it to you guys uh, probably late August for sure. I'll write something in there for you. Definitely. For sure. Hey, we appreciate that, man. So if I could leave your listeners with one last thing and that'll be two minutes is just, you know, imagine what you could do. I'm a kid who came from nowhere. I had, you know, no money when I was a kid. I was not connected to anything. I was a fucking project rat. Um, and I, have been around the world. I've had so many cool things happen to me. Um, I've made plenty of money, have a cool job and like, because I just wanted to do it. I, nothing more, I, nothing was handed. I had no fucking, I had no, you know, what's the word I'm looking for. I had no advantages over anybody and imagine what you could do. You know, that's all I have to say about that. Imagine what you could do if you just wanted to. Hell yeah, man. I need some more motivation in my life, but oh my God, <laughs> that's inspirational stuff. <laughs> like, I'm not even being sarcastic. It really is. I'll be, I'll be honest, dude. I wish that I had a fraction of the motivation. It seems, seems that you carry. I, uh, I can't imagine how meticulous and just persistent you have to be to have, you know, to do what you do and to have achieved what you've managed to do. I mean, yeah. Fuck, you tracked this guy down, this Wayne Chapman guy. You went out of your way to track him down and figure out exactly where he would be and made gave yourself an opportunity to be face-to-face with him. Like, I, And I know... And not strangle him, so that's good stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't punch this guy in the face or you know? you know, break his fucking arm, which you probably could have done being, you know, ex, ex-army. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's uh, It's just, it's inspiring. It really is. I appreciate it, dude. I, I really do it, uh... I would say to anybody who's going to listen to the podcast, it's uh, Wayne Chapman is just one of many. There's many, many, many more episodes to go. And there's unfortunately many more, uh, 
many more people that I've I've come face to face with or I've I've become obsessed with and in many more details I've been able to uncover about so much more stuff. So there's so much more to come, dude. Do you want to plug your podcast, by the way, man? That way, yeah, man, it's like called uh, Monster Podcast. I'm on the Law Enforcement Today Network. Uh, I am on iHeartRadio. I am on Spotify. I am on Apple. I'm started on Anchor and then got picked up by a network. So again, imagine what you could do. Um, I started with no listeners, fucking just yelling out of my. I could have yelled out of my window and more people would have heard me. Um, and I got picked up very, very quickly. So um, it's all there. Um, it's been overwhelmingly successful, which is wild. But I think the genre, I think people are just so interested in true crime, man. It's consistently always the highest rated shows um, in TV as well. Um, the documentaries do insanely good. I'll say one thing about my show, listening to other true crime podcasts. I feel like they just read like from Wikipedia and they just give you the rundown on the case. And it's like, okay, goodbye guys. Thanks. You heard it. And um, I try to give people every one of my episodes. I usually talk to somebody who is directly involved with the case. Like I want to go right to the source. I, in, in, in future episodes, I interview victims, victims, families, um, reporters who worked on the case, detectives, the law enforcement officers, everybody who was there on scene. Um, that's how I wanted to be different. I could not just do a rundown. Um, and, it, and if it's something that's a multi-parter, it's somebody I directly looked into myself. I did this research. I went there and saw them. You know, I'm on the ground. I've been looking into it for years. So it's really, really detailed in depth. A lot of them are multi-parters because I just, I can't put out a three hour podcast. Nobody will listen to it, you know? So <laughs> the whole season's recorded already, uh, 10 episodes. Season two will be in October. And yeah, I'll just fucking keep on keeping on, man. I'm going to make a film, I think, eventually too. So, nice. um, or a documentary, not a film. I'm going to make a documentary. And there's a new case that a new person uh, much like Chapman, who I've become very interested in recently. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned, man. Hell yeah, man. Hey, I, I just got to say, dude, you are extremely interesting. You've had me on the edge of my seat literally the entire time we've been talking to you. Thanks, And man. for the record, I would listen to a three-hour podcast. By <laughs> I, would too, I guess we're few and far between. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, this is just really interesting stuff and like you said everybody loves true crime and there's no shortage of material because humans are kind of shitty and there's uh yeah there's always new material being made so i don't think you'll ever run out of uh content man shitty people <laughs> to investigate true. but uh yeah right. dude we're gonna have to have you back again i i feel like we could do we could we could go another two or three hours easily and and just be running strong. So if, if you're cool with it, we'd like to anytime. invite you back. You message me anytime. I'll be there, brother. Thanks, hey, man. You're awesome, man. Hey, Thanks, um, man. you know, I, I'm sure it's getting late, late over on the East coast and you know, Adam's voice is shot. I, I really can't talk. I commend that. this guy for even struggling through this tonight, but he's here. He showed his face and uh, it's my <laughs> it is your apartment, but you, you didn't have to sit here for the, the hour and a half we've been talking. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think we're going to wrap <laughs> things up, David, but this has been really awesome. And with that being said, do you have any 
final thoughts that you'd like to give to our listeners? No, I uh, appreciate you guys giving me an hour and a half of your time. I'm a fan of the show. Uh, if you're interested, interested in, you know, the worst people of society, come check me out. And of course, you know, if you're having mental health struggles or you need someone to talk to, you email me or hit me up on Facebook anytime, absolutely anybody. And you're a coward if you don't. And, and we can, all. we'll link uh, your contact info. I'll have to get your direct email. That way I can drop this into the description and everything and make sure people have a means to reach out to you, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Dave. Yeah, you have a good night, man. And we'll be in touch about uh, about those books because I want to read this. Same. Anytime. Thank you, boys. See ya. All right. Yay. Have a good one. And hey, guys, that was Dave McGrath, uh, his forensic investigator. And he just schooled us on... Some really crazy shit. I mean, pardon my French on that, but I did not expect any of that. Adam, what was your take on all that? If you can even talk, um, I I'm still a little speechless, honestly. It's yeah, like, there's a lot to take in there. Like, no, I mean, you you think you I have an idea say, I, I of where it's going to go? Because it was all fascinating. <laughs> you, you think you're you're going to have some idea of where this is going to go? Whenever okay, we're going to talk forensic. No, it was we're left turns. Going to just be talking about you know crimes and stuff More but you, you don't really think about where that's gonna go yeah. and that's not the direction i thought we were gonna exactly. we were gonna take this tonight but yeah guys i hope you really enjoyed tonight's tonight's episode and enjoyed listening to dave the guy is super interesting and he is clearly an advocate for mental health he was really cool i liked him and just just being a good person and trying to shut down the people that are not good people, I guess is the best way to put that. It's the best way I can put that. Shut down the not good people. On that note, um, you know, before we close up, I just wanted to give a shout out to our patron supporters. Thank you guys. As always, uh, you know who you are. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna run through the names tonight, but you know who you are and we do appreciate you. Thank you so much for, showing your support both symbolically and financially. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And we hope you're digging your merch that you got. And yeah, please don't keep stop. Oh, yeah. Keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep doing, doing it. it. Yeah. We, we would really appreciate it. Um, but with that being said, I guess, I guess we'll wrap things up guys. And as always, this has been Tyler and Adam's pretentious podcast. Have a good night.